We are continuing our study of the book of Philippians, which comes under the title, A Better Brand of Happiness, and this is session 34 of this study. In the past several sessions, we have been focusing on the paragraph that begins in verse 4 and goes through chapter 9 of chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, is the paragraph we have been studying and focusing on for the past several sessions, and I want to uh, read that again. And so if you would take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and follow along as I read. Of course, if you want to follow along in our app, you can go ahead and tap on the Today's Notes section of the app, and the passage is right there in the notes for today's message. Uh, Either way, please follow along as I read out loud Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Where the scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As we prepare to continue looking at this section together, I just want to take just a minute to review where we've been. This uh, entire section, verses 4 through 9, forms, in my opinion, one paragraph of Scripture, And um, there are several commands, as we've noted in previous sessions, in this paragraph of Scripture. I've noted that, uh, according to my interpretation of this passage, the head command, the one that stands over the others and controls the rest of them, comes to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. That command is the first of several in this paragraph, but I believe it's the one that really uh, stands over all of them. And the other commands in this passage then flow from that command, and they give us applications. They tell us how we can rejoice in the Lord. And as we've looked at this passage together over the past several sessions, I have summarized the, um, the, the, the meaning of this passage, the uh, the thing that it's communicating in the big idea for this section, which is as follows. The big idea, as I've understood it for this paragraph, is when you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle, prayerful when anxious, intentional in your thinking, and obedient to God's word. Now, the last several sessions have focused on a subunit of this section. They focused on the part of this section that says that it will make you prayerful 
when anxious. And so the past few sections we've been detailing out in verses 6 and 7, that part of the command to rejoice in the Lord, that when we rejoice in the Lord, we should not be anxious about anything, but instead present our requests to God. And so these past several sections have been focused on these two verses, verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4. And I, as I said in previous sessions, this is a subunit in this section. Verses, uh, four, or verses 6 and 7 are a subunit of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now, in the last couple of sections, the last two, we've looked at verse 6 of this session. And just to read it again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We've been looking at the two commands that work together in this verse. They form a compound command by telling us not to do something, but instead to replace it with something else. And the thing we are commanded not to do in verse 6 is to be anxious. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, anxiety, as we've noted in previous sessions, means to care. It's a care about the future that starts to run away with your thinking and your feelings. Your body actually responds to the possible negative outcomes that could happen in the future that sort of take over your mind. This is what happens when people feel anxious. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, God commands us, when we feel anxious, to deal with that anxiety in a particular way, which is to present our requests to God. And that phrase, present that command, present your request to God, is layered with a bunch of other words for prayer. Paul tries to tell us over and over again, every time you feel anxious, go to God in prayer. And use every kind of prayer that you can think of as you go to him in prayer in the moments where you feel anxious. And so the command in verse 6 is when we, uh, instead of cultivating and indulging the habit of mind that leads to anxiety, and that is anxiety, instead go to God in prayer with the things that you feel anxious about. Give him specific requests that you would like for him to answer. But what happens when we obey this command? What happens when we replace the habits of mind that cause anxiety with prayer, with a habitual kind of prayer to God? What's the result of it? That's what today's session is about. Verse 7 tells us what God will do when we replace anxiety with prayer. And verse 7 says, again, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so that's our review up to this point. Verse 6 told us to pray instead of indulging in the feeling and the thinking that goes with anxiety. Now in verse 7, we move forward. And we see in this section, in verse 7, the results. Verse 7 tells us the results that will happen when you pray instead of feeling anxious. And let me show you from the text the, uh, where we see this idea of result coming forth in this passage of Scripture.
Here's our passage for today, which is verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And the passage begins with one word. It begins with the word and. And as you know, and is a conjunction. It joins things together. But there are various ways in which the conjunction and can be used. They do more than just linking things that are equal, although that's one thing that the word and can do. Another thing that and can do is signal result. And that's what is going on here. Paul is not just adding something to verse 6. He's telling us what the result of obedience to the Lord in verse 6 will be in our lives. And so remember back in verse 6, we were given a command. Be anxious. It's a negative command. Do not be anxious. But instead, present your requests to God. Those are the two commands that are joined together in this passage of Scripture. Verse 7 then promises when we obey those passages, when we obey those commands of the Lord, it promises a particular result to us. It tells us that God will do something in response to our prayers when we feel anxious. And what is that beneficial result of obedience? What happens in a person's life, in a Christian's life, when we replace anxiety with prayer? The answer is that we get God's peace. That's what is provided for us when we pray, when we go to God with our anxieties and we present specific requests before him. The Bible says the result is God's peace. So in this section, we see that God's peace is the result of praying when we feel anxious. And the subject of verse 7, the grammatical subject, is the word peace. The peace of God is the grammatical subject of verse 7. And so peace is really what God promises to us when we go to him in prayer, when we feel anxious. But what is peace? What is the Lord indicating in this verse? What is the result that God promises to us when we go to him in moments of anxiety and prayer? Well, the word peace can be defined in a a few different ways depending on how you want to look at it. But maybe the most um, overarching of them all is the idea of a removal of hostility. Peace is the absence of war and hostility, or you might say the cessation of war and hostility. And we can relate to this from our own experience living in the world. A nation is at peace when it is not at war. All right? The the choices are binary. Either a nation is at war or it's at peace. And the standard type of war that we think of when we think of the word war is an international war, a war between two nations. That war might be over many things. It might be over a piece of land, as it frequently is. It might be over tensions between two people who, two groups of people who, don't necessarily like each other for religious reasons or or, or racial reasons or whatever. But when we think of war, at least when I think of war, international war is what comes to my mind, a war between two different nations. But as you know, there's another kind of war that a nation can be engulfed in, and that's civil war. A nation can be torn apart from within by civil war, and that's an internal war between two factions of one nation, that go to war with one another. Now, this word peace in verse 7, 
is the opposite. It's the negation of anxiety in verse 6. And I think it's helpful for us to think of anxiety in this context. If peace is the cessation of conflict, then how does anxiety relate to this? How, how do anxiety and, repeat, uh, and peace relate to one another? And the answer is that peace is the opposite of anxiety. It's the opposite of the state of anxiety that verse 6 commands us not to have. And so in a sense, you might say, when you feel anxious, and when you have that hamster wheel in your mind that just spins constantly with all the possible negative outcomes in the future that cause you to be preoccupied with fear and feel that fear in yourself that we call anxiety. In a sense, you are at war with yourself. One aspect of your mind is at war with another aspect of your mind. And I've talked in the past in these sessions about anxiety as being a product of a desire for control. We feel anxious when we're not in control of what the future has for us. We feel anxious when we see a potential negative outcome happening or possibly happening. And we feel like we have no control over whether it happens or not or what will happen if it does happen. In a sense, your mind then goes to war with itself. Because on one hand, you are uh, focused on the possible negative outcomes of something, while at the same time you are knowing you can't control it. In other words, there's a desire for control in your mind, and your mind is also telling you, yeah, but you can't do anything about it. And in a sense, your mind is at war with itself. This is what generates the feelings of anxiety, the out-of-control emotions that go with the feelings of anxiety, that tension between knowing that you can't control everything and wishing you could control everything creates conflict. It's a civil war that's going on in your mind. But verses 6 and 7 tell us there's a better way than indulging and engaging in this civil war of the mind. They tell us these verses. The better way is to pray and to surrender to God the things you can't control in this life, the things that are causing the anxiety in your life, to present them to an all-wise and sovereign and loving and all-knowing God, to place them at His feet and submit to His perfect will. That's the antidote that the Bible gives to anxiety for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's the result that the Bible promises in verse 7 when we present our requests to God in verse 6. Now, notice also that verse 7 tells us the source of this peace. Verse 7 says, when we we present our requests to God, verse 6, we receive a result. That is the peace of God. But notice that it tells us the source of this peace. And the, the, uh, what I'm saying here is that this peace that God promises is a supernatural kind of peace. The result of praying when you feel anxious is the promise of God that you will receive a supernatural kind of peace. Let me show you that again in our text for this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. I said to you that the subject of this 
passages, the word peace, the, the, the subject of this verse, verse 7, is the peace of God. And there are two phrases that follow this word that indicate to us that what God promises here is something supernatural, not natural. The first phrase, of course, is this phrase of God. This phrase tells us, and it modifies, of course, peace. It tells us where this peace comes from. It comes as a gift of God. And because it comes from God, therefore, it is not natural. It is a supernatural kind of peace. And, of course, it's the direct result of presenting your requests to God. When you present your requests to God, God gives peace as a result of that. In other words, it is God's response to your prayers. When you feel anxious, when you ask God for what you need specifically in prayer when you feel anxious, God responds with his peace. That's the first phrase that shows us it's a supernatural kind of peace. The second one is the, the next phrase, which has this wording, which transcends all understanding. This phrase, which describes the peace that God gives, it too describes the word peace. This tells us another aspect, and, and it also indicates to us that the peace that God gives is a supernatural kind of peace. And so let's dig into these phrases and talk about the peace that God promises in this passage. Notice again, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Now, I've already talked about the phrase of God, and I said this is the gift of God. And so let's go forward then to the next phrase, which says, which transcends all understanding. The word that's translated understanding in verse 7 is the usual Greek word for the mind. It's a kind of peace that transcends the human mind. And the word transcends is a word of superiority. It tells you this is a better brand, if you will, of peace. It's a better type of peace. It's a transcendent kind of peace. A kind that's so much greater than any other kind of peace that you could find in your own mind or that you could manufacture based on your own effort or that someone on earth could confer upon you. The Bible says the peace that God gives transcends that. It transcends our thinking. It's telling us that God's peace is better and even that it's unique. Unique because of its source in God and because of its quality. It's a better kind of peace. And the point of this phrase is to say that you won't understand it when the result of verse 7 shows up in your life. When instead of indulging in the hamster wheel of negative thinking that creates anxiety in your life, when you instead learn to replace that habit with a habit of going to God in prayer and layering your, your prayers one upon another every time you feel anxious. The Bible says you won't really understand when you receive the peace that God gives. That is, nothing in your reality is going to change. The potential negative outcome that you foresee in the future is still a possibility. The thing that you worry about still could happen. The worst-case scenario is still out there, and it could be worse than you can even think of. And so it's not like prayer necessarily changes the outcome of anything in the moment that you feel anxiety. You don't know what the future is going to be yet. You don't know how God is going to direct. 
You can't, you don't have to wait until the reality becomes the present to experience this peace. The Bible is saying you'll experience this peace as you go to God in prayer, as you replace anxiety with praying. You'll have this transcendent kind of peace and you won't know where it came from. You won't understand where it comes from because it's a supernatural kind of peace. It comes as an act of God, a blessing conferred upon the followers of Jesus Christ as we live in obedience to him by rejoicing in him and bringing our request to him when we feel anxious. Now you can Google, and I have Googled, people's advice about anxiety, how to deal with anxiety. And I came across an article in WebMD that was, that was quite good in giving kind of logical human advice about how to deal with anxiety. Some of the things that this, said, this article I read said, and it's not unique, I think you'd find this in many articles that you read, is that if you want to deal with anxiety, you should write down the things that you are anxious about. Write them down in specifics, and then think about, is, it, is this really likely to happen? I mean, it could happen, but is this likely to happen? That's a human way of dealing with anxiety. Another thing that I read, another recommendation that I read was to exercise. And so when you're exercising, you change your physiology, you change your physical state, and often that helps you change your mind. It helps you change your focus. Instead of focusing on the pain of the future reality that worries you, you get to focus on the pain in your legs as you run further than maybe your condition to run, or it just gives you something else to think about. And often that change in physiology can change the way you feel. These are all very rational ways, and there's more than this, but these are very rational ways of dealing with anxiety. But this is not what the Bible says God does for us when we go to him in prayer. While this might be good and helpful advice in many ways, the Bible says God has a better solution for us. It tells us that prayer is an extra-rational way of dealing with anxiety, and it produces an extra-rational result, a supernatural result, as a gift of God himself. And so again, you won't understand why prayer works if you put this into practice in your life. But if you entrust your future to God and take your requests to God in prayer, the Bible says God will answer with his incomprehensible peace. And what does that peace exactly do for us? Well, it makes us feel better, for sure, and that's partially what the result that Paul is describing in verse 7 means. When Paul tells us the peace of God that passes all understanding we'll have, it's telling us that we will feel better about the situation. It will stop that turning hamster wheel of thinking that creates the physiological response. But there's more that this verse promises than just the feeling of well-being, which, by the way, is another way of defining peace. It could be defined as the absence of war, but it could also be... Uh, defined as a feeling of well-being, a sense of well-being. In fact, this is kind of the predominant Old Testament idea. In Hebrew culture, people greeted one another with the word shalom, which is peace, and that was a blessing. It was a, it was a way of saying, I confer upon you, or I ask God to confer upon you a feeling of well-being in your life. And yes, that's one result, 
that this verse promises to those who go to God in prayer when they feel anxious. But there's more that verse 7 promises to us when we go to God in prayer when we feel anxiety. And so what is that? What what does God promise to us when we go to Him in prayer in verse 7? In verse 7 we see, as we continue reading, "...and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." What God's peace does for us in this verse is described in that phrase, will guard. That phrase tells us that God's peace serves a protective function in your life. God's peace preserves and and, and promises and serves as a protective function in your life. And let's go to the text again one more time. I've told you that the subject of verse 7 is the peace of God. The phrase that we're looking at right now is the verb in the verse, which is will guard. And you've noticed, of course, that it's a verb, but it's also in the future tense. It's telling us not only does God give us his peace in the moment and at the time of our praying to him, but it tells us that there's an ongoing function in our lives, that God promises something to us not only in the present, but in the future when we go to him in prayer, in the moments where we feel anxiety. And so it's it's saying that it serves as a protection, a protective function for us. Now this verb, will guard, in this section, the phrase that's translated will guard in the New International Version of the Bible, is a military term. It's a military term in the original Greek language that Paul wrote the book of Philippians in. And as a military term, it could actually be translated garrison. That's how it would be translated in secular Greek. Paul is saying God's peace will garrison your mind and your hearts. Now, what is a garrison? Well, it's a detachment of soldiers who are sent to defend something. And this letter that we call Philippians was sent to believers in the city of Philippi. And I told you before that Paul borrowed aspects of Philippian culture in his writing. He used them as analogies for other things that he wanted to say. In Philippians 3.20, Paul talked about our citizenship being in heaven. And I told you at that time when we looked at those verses that Philippi was actually a, a Roman colony. It was established by the Roman Empire. And the people who lived in that Roman colony received Roman citizenship for it. Most of the people who lived in Rome weren't Roman citizens. Roman citizenship was difficult to get and expensive to get. And so most people who lived under the Roman Empire were not Roman citizens. They had a lower class of rights than those who were Roman citizens. But these people in Philippi, because they lived in a Roman colony, they were conferred a level of citizenship by the Roman government. Paul borrows that idea. It's something that the Philippians were very proud of. And Paul takes that idea and says, you're proud of being Roman citizens, but we are citizens of heaven. He did that in chapter 3, verse 20. In other words, Paul took a secular example and he used it as an analogy for our relationship to God. Now here in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul does that again. When he says, the peace of God will garrison, will guard your hearts and your minds, he's once again drawing from their 
secular situation. Because since Philippi was a Roman colony, and because it was in a strategic location on the edge of what we call modern Greece, it was guarded by a garrison of Roman soldiers. A detachment of soldiers had been sent there permanently by the Roman Empire to guard this important colony that we call Philippi. And Paul uses that idea, that idea of the Roman guard guarding the city of Philippi to talk about what God will do to us with his peace when we turn to him in prayer in moments of anxiety. Just as a detachment of soldiers was in Philippi to guard the city from what? From attack. So too, the Bible says, God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds from attack. It will garrison your heart and your mind. That's the future, the expected, the protective function that the Bible describes as a benefit of trusting God in prayer in the moments of anxiety. And so when when God's word here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that God's peace will guard, it's telling us that God dispatches his peace like a detachment of soldiers to defend you against other attacks of anxiety in your life. Now, what exactly does this peace defend for us? What does God's peace defend in our lives? And again, we turn to verse 7 for the answer. It tells us at the end, or toward the end of verse 7, that God's peace defends your hearts and your minds. Your hearts and your minds. Again, looking at the text. The direct object of this verb, will guard, is your hearts and your minds. This is what is protected. This is what is garrisoned by the peace of God in our lives. It defends hearts and minds. And as you notice, there are two objects here. The first is your hearts. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's typically referring to the uh, internal all of the internal part of a human being. It's a person's thinking, but more than that, and really it has more of an emphasis on a person's emotions and a person's will. It's all of the internal parts of a person. That's what the Bible means when it uses the word hearts. And so the first object that God's peace garrisons, that it protects, is your emotions and your will. The second object, of course, is the phrase, your minds, your minds, and that's the area of your thinking. Now, recall that in verse 6, we were commanded not to be anxious. What does anxiety attack? It attacks your mind and your heart. It gives you all kinds of, of things to think about that create all kinds of negative emotions. Your mind is the place where you think, and anxiety attacks your mind by causing you to think about all the possible negative outcomes that could happen about someone or something that you care about in the future. Your heart, as I said, is where you feel, and it's where you make decisions with your will. Anxiety attacks your mind, but it also attacks your heart by causing you to feel the emotions of anxiety, causing you to feel worried. But it also can paralyze you in your willing. Anxiety can be paralyzing 
It can keep you from doing anything because you're so fearful about the possible outcomes of any activity that you do nothing at all. It also can work another way, and that is that you kind of go into hyper-control mode. So because anxiety is about a lack of control, you start to try to control people and things through various means, through outbursts of emotion, through outbursts of anger, through a lying speech to people. You try to manipulate people in order to avoid the thing that you fear happening. This all happens and rises from a heart that is out of control with anxiety. And so when you get anxious, you lose your joy. And you feel overwhelmed with feeling of fear in your hearts. This little subsection, verses 6 and 7, tell us that when we feel anxious, but instead of indulging in that anxiety, we turn to God in prayer. We learn to replace the habit of anxious thinking with a disciplined response of prayer. You not only feel God's peace in your hearts and your minds, but it guards your hearts and minds going forward. It stands guard over that internal part of you that can be uh, attacked by anxiety. And so if anxiety is like being at war with yourself, then you need God's peace to come in and cease that hostility. You need it to come in and settle you down. Settle down that war in your mind and guard you from future attacks. This section, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, tells us that this happens when we stop choosing anxious thoughts and instead go to God over and over with specific requests in prayer. Now, the final phrase in verse 7 is really important. It looks like it's kind of tacked on there at the end. Verse 7 says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's very easy to overlook that last phrase. And that last phrase, of course, is the phrase, In Christ Jesus. It's very easy to overlook this phrase. And think, it, think of it as something that is sort of tacked on at the end to sort of spiritualize all of this talk that Paul is giving. But I think it's a really important phrase for us to understand. It tells us the realm in which all of these things happen. It tells us the reason why we can expect God to answer our prayers by giving us his peace and guarding us with his peace going forward. The peace that results from your prayers is produced by your union with Christ. That's a doctrine of our faith, Christianity, the doctrine of the, our union with Christ. And that doctrine of our union with Christ is often signaled by this very phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, as we have it here. The Bible says that every benefit we have as believers comes because of our union with Christ. Because when we came to Christ and became believers in him, the Bible says in God's mind, God credited us with all of the righteousness and goodness of Christ. And he credited Christ with all of the wrath that God had for our sins. We became one with Christ so that his death on the cross atoned for our sins. And his righteous life gives us perfect standing before God. Why does God promise 
peace to those who pray to him. He does so because you are in Christ Jesus. And he does so, I should say, if you're in Christ Jesus. See, that's the necessary condition. The peace of God is not for everyone. The peace of God is for the people of God. It's for believers in Jesus Christ. This peace that God offers comes to us in Christ Jesus. It comes from our relationship with God. And so it's not for everyone. And if you're not a Christian, you can pray to God. But because you're not in Christ Jesus, you won't necessarily experience the calming and guarding peace of God in your life. But if you are a Christian, this is one of the many benefits of being in Jesus Christ. It's one of the many benefits of walking with God in Christ. You get a supernatural sense of peace through your prayers to God when you're in anxiety. And remember that the head command for this whole paragraph, verses 4 through 9, is the command in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And as I said many times, rejoicing in the Lord means getting your joy from your relationship with Christ, getting your significance from your relationship with Christ, knowing that your relationship with Christ settles your accounts with God and settles your future after this life is over. And it's a command. It's something we are to do as Christians. We are to constantly remind ourselves that Christ is the source of our joy, that he is the source of everything that we have in this life that is good and all of the promises of God for us in the future. Now, this little phrase at the end of verse 7, in Christ Jesus, I believe is echoing that command to rejoice in the Lord. It's teaching us that it is our reverent submission to Jesus Christ that unlocks all that is presented to us here in verses 6 and 7. If you're a Christian, you're already in Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. Part of walking with him is submitting to his lordship, and one way we do that is coming to him in prayer. So instead of worrying about how you're going to control everything in your life, when you pray, what do you do? You submit your life to the sovereign will of God who loves you and who has a plan and who knows all things and has everything under control. So the big idea for this entire paragraph is when you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle prayerful when anxious, intentional in your thinking, and obedient to God's word. And if we apply this big idea to these two verses we've been looking at, verses 6 and 7, we find in these verses that a better brand of happiness comes from praying when you feel anxious. This is something you can put to practice in your life right now. There are always reasons for us human beings to feel anxious. But right now, living in this time where COVID-19 is a real concern and dealing with the, the, all of everything that goes along with it, that can create plenty of anxiety in our lives. Furthermore, we have racial tensions going on in our world. This can create much anxiety in our lives. There are plenty of opportunities for us to put into practice the truths we've been learning in the past several sections. 
There's plenty of opportunities in our lives for us to feel anxious and to be anxious and to go through the ritual, the process, the habit of mind that is anxiety and that generates more anxiety. But God's Word tells us there's a better way. The better way is instead of continuing the thought processes that are anxiety and that generate anxiety, present your requests to God. Pray when you feel anxious. This is a better brand of happiness.